RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. Police say they'll stop recognising press passes and only reporters who are registered with the government will be classed as genuine. The Journalists Association condemns the move, saying it's another blow to press freedom in Hong Kong. And a task force says schools should stop letting pupils discuss current affairs during liberal studies lessons. The police say they'll start ignoring press passes and the only local journalists they'll recognise in future are those reg- registered with the government's information services department. In a letter to journalist groups, the force says officers will also class staff from internationally recognised media groups as bona fide journalists. The police have been claiming for months that they're encountering what they call fake reporters at the scene of protests and they say their new move will make it easier for officers to carry out their duties. But the chairman of the Hong Kong Journalists Association, Chris Young, says this is no justification at all. The system of HKJA and the Photographers uh, Association issuing press cards have not shown any problems. We have not received a single complaint or justified case from the police about the cards issued by our association. So there's no basis for fundamental change of the existing arrangements. DAB lawmaker Elizabeth Quatt supports the police's move, saying it won't affect press freedom. She says it actually helps safeguard the dignity of what she calls real journalists and would have a positive impact on the industry. Fellow pro-government lawmaker Priscilla Leung says clearer guidelines can help the public regain confidence in the media. I think the community did have some confusion. Who is qualified to be a reporter in Hong Kong? Especially, I believe, many people were shocked to see that A teenager can claim himself or herself to be a reporter and there is completely no regulation on that. I believe certain kind of regulation is good to rebuild the confidence of the media industry in Hong Kong in the eyes of Hong Kong people. A task force reviewing the local school curriculum is calling for a major overhaul of the liberal studies subject before the government decides whether it should be kept as a core subject. The task force says discussion on current affairs should be stripped out as secondary school students aren't mature enough to make rational judgments on controversial issues. Priscilla Ng reports. The task force has been looking at the whole school curriculum, but it's liberal studies that has come under the spotlight, at least in pro-Beijing circles. The subject's aimed at encouraging critical thinking, but the pro-establishment camp says it's radicalizing young people and is at least partly to blame for the city's social unrest. Some have called for liberal studies to be scrapped or at least made optional. But the task force recommends keeping it as one of the four core subjects for senior secondary school students, at least for now. In a report to the Education Bureau, however, it says the content should be trimmed and reviewed regularly to make sure the issues for students to discuss are contemporary but mature. There should be no current affairs, it says, because it's difficult for teachers and students to engage in impartial and evidence-based discussions without the benefit of hindsight. The task force also asserts that it goes beyond the maturity of secondary students to be able to make rational judgments on very controversial issues without a solid understanding of the different considerations behind them. 
The hospital authority has resumed more services now that the coronavirus situation has eased. It says it's now providing 70% of non-essential services, with some staff working extra hours to help clear queues. The chief manager at the authority, Dr Ian Chung, says community COVID treatment centres have also lightened the burden on public hospitals. With the experience in the three waves that we have uh, experienced, we are more confident in providing uh, our service to non-COVID patients in the coming months. Because we have more buffer nowadays, for example, we have more community facilities in the Asia Well uh, Expo, and coming we will have a temporary hospital uh, next to uh, Asia Well Expo. And this will enable us to divert some stable uh, without comorbidity patients to these facilities to uh, receive isolation and treatment. Hong Kong saw another eight confirmed coronavirus infections today. Five of them involved people who'd just returned from India. The UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has urged the world to prevent a cold war between the United States and China and halt conflict so it can focus on the pandemic. Opening an almost entirely virtual UN General Assembly, he said the world was moving in a dangerous direction and couldn't afford to see it split. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. Hong Kong's big two supermarket chains, Park and Shop and Welcome, say they're handing out hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of vouchers to people on low incomes in return for receiving wage subsidies because of the pandemic. Park and Shop, which is getting around $162 million from the government, says it'll give each of around 200,000 people a $200 food voucher. Welcome is getting more than $184 million in subsidies. It hasn't said how much its vouchers will be worth, but says it will also freeze the price of 300 daily necessities for six months. But Franking Nan from the Supermarket Price Concern Group says the chains aren't doing enough. In Hong Kong, there are 1.4 million poor population. But Pakai Shop only offers 200,000 cash voucher only. It's really not enough for all low-income people. Besides, uh, a large number of Hong Kong residents uh, nowadays are facing unemployment or underemployment. Both supermarkets only distribute cash voucher for the limited number of low-income households. It's really not enough, I would say. Chief Executive Carrie Lam says Hong Kong's legal system is as robust as ever under the national security law, even after the resignation of an Australian non-permanent judge of the Court of Final Appeal. Mrs Lam says she can't speculate as to why Justice James Spiegelman quit, even though the Australian Broadcasting Corporation says it was because of the new legislation. The CE says there are incorrect perceptions about the security law internationally, and Beijing and her administration have been trying to set the record straight. We have gone all out to explain to international organizations as well as our interlocutors in various places through our network of economic and trade offices that the legal system is as robust as ever under the national security law, that judicial independence is not undermined in any way, that Hong Kong now restores law and order, which makes Hong Kong an even more attractive place for doing business rather than the contrary, as some have misrepresented the Hong Kong situation. Mrs Lam was again asked about the plight of 12 young Hong Kongers detained on the mainland after they tried to flee to Taiwan by boat. She repeated the answer she gave a week ago. They are on bail, but they have absconded. So they have, um, they have uh, run away from their legal liabilities, but in the course of running away from the legal liabilities, they committed another crime in another jurisdiction. 
So isn't it reasonable and fair that uh, these 12 uh, people should first face their legal liabilities in that other jurisdiction uh, according to the, the law? And thereafter, of course, uh, we will arrange for them to come back to face uh, consequences. The parents of one of the 12 Hong Kongers detained on the mainland say they've been under a lot of mental strain since he was arrested last month and the SAR government isn't doing enough to ease the plight. Damon Pang reports. The 12 detainees who were intercepted by the Guangdong Coast Guard as they tried to make their way to Taiwan by speedboat are accused of crossing the border illegally. 11 of them were facing protest-related charges in Hong Kong and one had been arrested on suspicion of breaching the national security law. Li Ziyin, who is 29, had been charged with rioting and assaulting police. His mother recalls that a few days before he disappeared, he suddenly asked to take a picture with her. Mrs. Lee's voice has been altered to protect her identity. He's not one who likes to take photos, she says, but she didn't sense anything was wrong. She says her son responded by asking, why can't I take a photo with you, mom? She says they have a great relationship. He's a nice boy. He once made a cheesecake for my birthday. It tasted good, she says. This is rare for boys. It made me so happy. Mrs. Lee says Hong Kong is now calling white black. And it's not just one or two young people facing trouble. She says youngsters across Hong Kong are having a difficult time. Mrs Lee says even though she may be deceiving herself by hoping her son comes back soon, staying hopeful is the only way she can keep going. I can't tell myself he won't be able to come back. My relatives told me, if I collapse, she says, it will be even more awful for my son. Mrs. Lee says she's been taking medication to stabilize her emotions. Meanwhile, her husband says he hasn't been able to sleep well and has been seeing a psychologist. He doesn't know whether Tsi-in is eating properly, and he says he's upset the Hong Kong government has not been able to provide any proper help, despite officials claiming otherwise. Mr Lee says he can't see the transparency that the authorities claim the mainland's legal system has. There's not a tiny bit of human rights, he says, and his son has not been able to see the lawyer they appointed. We won't accept the ones assigned by the authorities, he adds. The detention of the 12 in Shenzhen, he says, is exactly why so many people oppose the now-shelved extradition bill. The father says he's not young anymore and he just wants his son to stay healthy and get through this ordeal. He says his simple wish is that he'll get a chance to see his son again and that the whole family can sit down and have dinner together. American Nancy Kissel, who drugged and bludgeoned her husband to death in Hong Kong in 2003, has lost another attempt to shorten her prison term. Maggie Ho reports. The Court of Appeal has refused to allow Kissel to go to the city's top court to challenge an earlier rejection of a bid for a judicial review. The killer, who's now 56, wanted to challenge the refusal of the Long-Term Prison Sentences Review Board to convert her sentence to a definite term. She says she should at least be told what the board thinks should be the minimum time she must spend behind bars as a matter of fairness and natural justice. Kissel argues that the board is in breach of the basic law and the Bill of Rights, and the Court of Final Appeal should hear her case because it would affect many other people serving long prison terms. But the appeal court says the larger part of her case is not arguable. 
However, Kissel still has one more shot and can go to the court of final appeal directly to try to get her judicial review. Some ethnic minority residents flying into Hong Kong are said to be going hungry as they wait for COVID test results or to be taken into quarantine because the food they've been given isn't suitable. Some recent arrivals are calling on the authorities to take note of people's special dietary requirements due to religious reasons. Wendy Wong reports. Asif Ahmed says his wife and two children who travelled to Hong Kong from India on the 11th of this month were considered close contacts of an infected passenger on the flight. He says they waited for almost 40 hours at the airport before being sent to a quarantine centre, during which time they couldn't get any halal food. We would have been given any Indian vegetarian food that we can eat or any halal certified food. Even if it is a meat, chicken, if it is halal certified, we would have eaten that food. We were not given that food. What we have been given is a, the second day, after one day, a fish pasta. Unfortunately, we couldn't eat that. And B, we were provided with some mushroom noodles cooked in a Chinese style, but that doesn't fit our dietary. So our kids and my wife couldn't eat that. Shumit Shama, who flew in from India last Friday, says he waited for 30 hours with a few ethnic minority families for the coronavirus test results. He says they were only given junk food, like muffins and chicken wings. We were again both to tip on the tables and the chairs, which we had been sitting for the past 20 hours. And when I asked the airport staff, well, how about the meal? That's the least you could provide. And they said, oh, there, there, the, the meal is right there. He was pointing to the muffin and the biscuits, I mean, which is completely ridiculous. I don't think that that was in, uh, any, in any way acceptable because... You're supposed to be humane. Social worker Jeffrey Andrews is urging the government to deploy staff who are more culturally sensitive at the airport. It is systemic discrimination. It's a lack of political will to really integrate ethnic minorities. We've always seen them as a problem or a second-class citizen and just reflects it. I do really believe that the government should be putting resources at this moment in getting more frontline staff, culturally sensitive workers in this aspect, trained workers. There are so many trained ethnic minorities. This is the time we use us in the workforce, bring us there. This kind of incidence makes it very difficult. People returning back, you want to have a good community gesture, not like this. This is very painful for people. They are now thinking twice, is this our home? Hong Kong, is this really our home? Currently, only Hong Kong residents are allowed into the city after flying to check Lab Kok. But they must have a COVID test when they arrive, wait for the results and then go into quarantine for two weeks. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Police say they'll stop recognising press passes and only reporters who are registered with the government will be classed as genuine. The Journalists Association condemns the move, saying it's another blow to press freedom in Hong Kong. And a task force says schools should stop letting pupils discuss current affairs during liberal studies lessons. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's news wrap programme. A real estate tycoon and outspoken critic of President Xi Jinping has been jailed for 18 years on charges of corruption, bribery and embezzlement of public funds. Ran Chiang was once part of the Communist Party's inner circle, but he disappeared from the public eye in March, shortly after penning an essay that was fiercely critical of President Xi's response to the coronavirus outbreak. Simon Rabinovich is Asia's economics editor with The Economist newspaper. He spoke to the BBC's Claire MacDonald. 
he's a complex figure, uh, Ren Jiaqiang, a longtime party member. In fact, he, he's from a revolutionary family. His father had been a senior official uh, vice minister of commerce, and he himself had actually not been a sort of private sector tycoon, but been a party sector tycoon. He was the head of a, um, a state-owned property company. He also, though, for many, many years was a thorn in the party's side. His nickname is Big Cannon Ren. Um, he had a, an account with uh, nearly 40 million followers uh, on Weibo, which is sort of the Chinese Twitter equivalent, uh, where he'd often criticize the party, criticize the government. Uh, and so uh, he's sort of been on no Noticed now for several years that he ought to pipe down, but he didn't. And as you note, uh, there was an essay that was circulated earlier this year, critical of the party's response to uh, the coronavirus outbreak, um, and, and that was his undoing. And, and this, clearly, 18 years, is a very swift and stern res response from Xi Jinping, um, clearly wanting to stop any kind of dissent about how they've dealt with the virus. Is that a sign of control or weakness do you think? Is he frightened about what this kind of comment, the response it could stir up? Well, so, I mean, to be clear, first of all, the, the, the charges that he faced were related to his business dealings. So they never officially explicitly drew a link between his his criticism, his commentary, uh, and, and the case against him. Um, so he was charged with uh, embezzlement, corruption, causing uh, you know state losses uh, in excess of uh, 100 million RMB, more you know, nearly $20 million. Uh, and on the basis of that, he was found guilty and sentenced to 18 years in prison. Uh, he's you know in his well into his 60s now. So were he to serve this entire sentence, it would take him you know well into his 80s. So, so people are, are viewing it as a life sentence which is, um, you know, remarkably harsh for, for what he's done if, if the real crime is just having penned a, a critical essay. Um, so explicitly that link hasn't been drawn. Implicitly, though, every, everybody believes this is exactly what it is, that it's, it's a shot across the bows of anybody who dares to be outspoken, anybody who dares to be critical, especially for somebody like Ren who has this party background, people like him of his stature in the past would, if not have been untouchable, if they were touched, it would have been, been a light touch. So the fact that he's uh, been dealt such a heavy sentence uh, is a sign of, of you know, a, a country which was already uh, very limited in its tolerance for this kind of criticism and dissent, uh, having even less space now for any, any form of criticism. A report from a respected U.S. think tank details how the Chinese government is forcing hundreds of thousands of ethnic Tibetans to attend military-style vocational training centres away from their homes. Here's the BBC's Celia Hatton. The Chinese leader Xi Jinping has declared that poverty must be erased from China's rural areas this year. Traditional Tibetan herders don't have jobs with measurable salaries, so Beijing is forcing them to be retrained on an industrial scale, training that often belittles the religion and culture. They're arbitrarily slotted into jobs that come with a wage, often far away from their families, so the government can argue such people are no longer poor by its standards. The report by the Jamestown Foundation is based on official documents and satellite imagery. A respiratory disease expert has welcomed the government's decision to extend the social distancing measures in place for another week, saying it's good to see it taking a more cautious approach compared to the way it handled the pandemic earlier in the summer. Professor David Hoy from Chinese University, who's also a government advisor on the pandemic, says the authorities may have relaxed measures too much before the recent surge in infections. 
He told Jimmy Choi that he believes the government will have to wait another week or two before considering whether to further relax the various restrictions. Well, I think it is good to see that the government is actually being more cautious in lifting the social distancing measures. Like uh, last Friday, the uh, number of people per table was only increased to four. And there were also other entertainment facilities being reopened. I think the government needs a bit more time to uh, assess the situation before further lifting. And in recent days, there are also the local cases of unknown source. So I think it's good to see the government actually being more cautious in uh, lifting the social distancing measures. So do you think that they probably have acted too um, quickly in terms of relaxing the social distancing measures back in June, which some people uh, think that may have led to the third wave of the outbreak? Yeah, I think the government probably learned the lessons uh, from June when they actually lifted the uh, number of people per table to no limit. It was eight per table, and there's suddenly no limit. And then people came out uh, and organized a lot of big parties and celebrations. And that also contributed to the big third wave, uh, which is still ongoing. So I think it is good to see that the government is, is actually being more cautious now mm. in lifting the, uh, the social distancing measures. So under what circumstances do you think it would be appropriate for the government to further relax its measures? As you can see, that when they allow the dinner time to resume uh, to two persons per table, it actually took them three weeks to increase the number of people from two to four. So I think the government should, uh, they need more time to look at the trend of the the outbreak uh, to make sure it is actually going down and also the proportion of unknown source should also go down further before any further lifting. So are you talking about one to two weeks? I think so, yeah. So what what sort of measures do you think uh, should be relaxed first, for example? Well, it's up, it's up to the government. I think the, the number of people probably can be adjusted. For example, in the next week or two, if there is no related outbreak involving restaurants, then it would be possible to increase the number of people from four to six per table. And what about the uh, public gathering ban, which is also limiting you know, uh, gatherings to four people right now? It all depends on the uh, the outbreak in Hong Kong. Uh, we hope to see the end of the third wave, but it is still ongoing. So I guess we need a bit more time to uh, to assess the situation. And also, uh, there seems to be a rise in the number of imported cases recently. Should we be concerned about that too? Yeah, these people who came back from overseas, they actually have Hong Kong ID cards. So uh, we cannot... Uh, we refuse them to return eventually. But if the number of people uh, with confirmed COVID-19 is very high, then I think the government can actually use the administrative way in stopping the flights for a couple of weeks. Because they have Hong Kong ID card uh, legally, they are actually eligible to return. But uh, we, ha- we have to look at our quarantine facilities. If there is ongoing uh, importation of cases like this, uh, that would put a lot of stress on the uh, quarantine facilities. So I guess the government can actually uh, look at the number of people infected. Say they are using this rule that if there are more than five cases per flight being confirmed to have COVID-19, then they would stop the, the flight for a couple of weeks. Professor David Hoy from Chinese University speaking to Jimmy Choi.
Flight attendants with Hong Kong's embattled flag carrier Cathay Pacific say they're willing to go on unpaid leave for a full year or even longer if that would allow them to keep their jobs in the long run. Cathay has warned that a major restructuring is inevitable as it continues to hemorrhage up to $2 billion a month, with passenger and cargo traffic having plummeted amid the pandemic. The vice chairwoman of the Cathay Pacific Airways Flight Attendance Union, Amber Soon, says they met management yesterday, but no promises were made. She spoke to Damon Pang. The union have conducted a survey among our members, 3,500 of responses that equivalent to at least 50% of our members. Many of us actually hope the company could implement certain voluntary departure scheme first that include early retirement scheme and also voluntary redundancy scheme. But what if Cathay say no to this voluntary departure schemes? What else do you prefer? CX actually have implemented two rounds of voluntary unpaid leave schemes, but those two actually only act for 20 days of unpaid leave. So what we were suggesting based on our members' feedback, it's actually longer period of unpaid. So it could be up to years. The company also didn't say yes or no, but then they will consider. So nothing's off the table at this moment. What does a year-long no-pay leave, what kind of benefit would that bring? Because to our members, that means they can still go back to flying when the situation gets better. So that means they don't have to leave the company for good. And once the demand comes back, they only need to go on training to revalidate the license and then they can go back flying. They don't have to apply for the job, go through the whole interview process again. But what if the company say no to your proposals? For now, that isn't yes or no to the proposed ideas. And the company didn't really, because during our last meeting, it's inconclusive. So I guess so far, we still don't know what the company's plan is. So it's hard to say what next at this stage. Amber Soon from the Cathay Pacific Airways Flight Attendance Union. A logistics professor says Cathay Pacific has no option but to cut costs if it's to survive. Akim Zerni from Polytechnic University's Department of Logistics and Maritime Studies says the airline is in an especially difficult situation because most of its flights are long haul and therefore affected by pandemic restrictions and travel bans. But he told Mike Weeks that Cathay is in a region of strong growth and it should do well if it can survive. From passenger travel, you have basically no revenue. The most important business strategy at the moment is just to survive. One thing that can be done in order to survive is first, of course, having some government support, but of course also cutting costs. So this is inevitable and has to be done. But again, I mean, the, the most important issue is just, you know, making sure that Cathay can survive. I mean, they have a lot of very knowledgeable and, and skillful people in the company and it would be just a waste if the company wouldn't exist anymore. Mm. Has it shifted some of its uh, passenger planes to flying cargo? Oh yes, it is happening. This is something that at least keeps some revenue. So the cargo business, although it can compensate for all the losses from the passenger traffic, but still that's uh, generating revenue, for sure. Okay, just looking ahead, what do you see emerging from this pandemic? Are we just going to be have a very slimmed down airline industry? 
It's going to change. I mean, it is interesting uh, if you look, for instance, at the aircraft fleet. Lufthansa is retiring all the A380 aircraft. That's, by the way, an advantage of, I would say, of, of Cathay Pacific, because they have retired their last Boeing 747 not long ago, and they have no A380. So the very big aircraft seems to be something that at the moment is not really something that uh, airlines want to have because it's, you know, too difficult to, to fill them up. Uh, so that's certainly an advantage for Cathay Pacific once the traffic recovers. But that's certainly a change. So we will have a ch- a see changes in the, in the aircraft fleets. I think uh, another uh, issue is, of course, I do believe the domestic markets or short to medium whole flight markets will be important. So I think here, if we're talking about Cathay Pacific, like having Hong Kong Express that can serve the uh, low-cost market segment is is good. Uh, so there are some changes. You know, people wonder, uh, how is it about the business traffic, uh, business travel? Um, you know, now people are getting used to all these online telecommunication mm. platforms, and actually they are, I would say they are really good. I, you know, I, I love them, uh, and uh, I, I feel that many other people also have the same experience. So the question then is, will business travel recover to the old, old level? Well, I mean, overall, uh, if you look at the different parts of the globe, the Asia-Pacific region will remain a region with a very strong growth. And there is the, the Greater Bay Area, one of the most dynamic regions in the world. So uh, I would say for Hong Kong and Cafe Pacific, you know, despite all these changes, there is a good future ahead. But again, the, the most important at the moment is really just simply to survive. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Sean Kennedy from our newsroom. Applications for discretionary places for primary one admission for September 2021 can be submitted from September 21st to 25th this year. If your child was born on or before December 31st, 2015 and is to enter primary one in a government or aided primary school in September next year, remember to submit the completed primary one application form to the primary school of your choice and note the special arrangements for submitting the form this year. Each child can only apply for one school. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December. We'll have moments to remember. 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 Whoa, what a grand opening. Nostalgia time.
What a great opening day to Love Again with Carmen Cavallaro. Piano. And now let's welcome Gordon McRae. Without a song, the day would never end. Without a song, the road would never bend. When things go wrong, a man ain't got a friend. Without a song, that meal of corn would never see a plow. That field of corn would be deserted now. A man is born, but he's no good no how. Without a song, I got my trouble and woe. But sure as I know, the Jordan will roll. I'll get along as long as a song is strong in my soul. Makes the rain to fall 